we will be back in 1 Peter tonight, and we're going to begin in chapter 1, verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. If you need a Bible, Bud would be happy to hand you one. Now, before we begin in verse 22, I want to get a little bit of a running thought at Peter's thought that he is continuing, that he will land in the section of Scripture we're going to cover tonight, and that begins all the way back in verses 1 through 5, where we talked about two weeks ago, Peter highlighted and painted a wonderful picture of our eternal salvation, right? The three tenses of our salvation, we have been saved, we are currently being saved, we're being sanctified, we are being made more like Christ, and the fullness of that won't be revealed until we are face to face with Jesus, be that at the rapture or at our death. He highlighted God's hand and God's power in all of that salvation narrative, not to downplay our own, but because as he writes to a church that has been persecuted, as he writes to a church that is being pressed, what an encouragement and what a comfort to know that when they feel weak, when they feel unable, their salvation, their security does not rest on them and their strength, but on the Lord's strength. He said, even in light of that salvation, life is still going to be hard. We see that in verse 6. The trials that we'll face, but those trials are not going to steal our joy because our joy is not rooted in the horizontal things, in our current circumstances, in our experiences right now. But the root, the source, the wellspring of our joy is that eternal salvation. Then going down to verse 13, he says, in light of this salvation, we need our minds to be sober and girded up. We need our minds to be ready for action. They are called into service. This current experience of salvation that we have is not a passive affair, but just as God has redeemed our souls through what Jesus did on the cross, he is now also in this time calling our minds to be in action by being ready, but also by being sober, by thinking rightly. And that is for the twofold purpose. One, we see there in verse 13 that we might rest our hope fully upon the grace that will be brought to us. You see, when we let down the guard of our minds, the reality of our hope and our eternal salvation that he spent the first part of that chapter painting can be eroded. If we don't put the guards of our minds up, then we can all too easily forget the reality of our salvation. We can forget the effects and the implications that that has on our lives today. So we sharpen our minds to guard against everything in this world that tries to chip away at that. Because in verse 16, we see that in protecting 
our knowledge and our awareness of the salvation that we have, through the sharpening of our minds, through the sobriety of our minds, we can see a manifestation of that salvation, a current outworking of that salvation in holiness, in being set apart. So we have a wonderful salvation that is secured by God and His power, that doesn't depend on us, that isn't uh, in our frail hands, but it's secure in the Lord's hands. We're cognizant of that hope, we're focused on that hope, and because we know that we are diligent and proactive and intentional with our minds. One, to preserve that reality, to make sure that we are about our Father's business, not being distracted, not being torn down, not being belittled by the enemy. But we're also sharpening our minds in light of our salvation so that we can have an outward working of our faith. And that looks like holiness. Holiness not being perfect righteousness like we find in Christ, like we will only find at Jesus' return, right? Our salvation is complete, but we will not be perfected believers until the Lord comes back for us or we meet Him at the end of our life here on this earth. But, being saved currently will have an effect on the life that we live now. And that's going to manifest itself in being different, in being set apart, in holiness. And that's the thought that Peter's going to continue as we begin in verse 22. Having said all that, since you have purified your souls in obedience in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. We have the first very explicit, practical, put it on a list, write it on a note card, stick it in your wallet, application or outworking of our salvation. And that is to love one another fervently. And that's what Peter is going to continue to detail. Having laid out our salvation, I'm sorry, Mike, this is going to bother me. I'm going to move this down so you might have to turn me up a little bit. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep hitting it all night. Having purified our souls in obeying the truth, that's strictly referencing our conversion, when we initially put our trust in Christ for our eternity because of the sacrifice that he made on the cross, not in our own works, not in us being good people. And we have to be really clear when we read that because our souls are not purified by loving of the brethren, but because our souls have already been purified, by obedience to the truth, that is the word, the gospel, because you have obeyed the gospel. As a result of that, love one another fervently with a pure heart. 
And then verse 23 says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Our responsibility to love is rooted in God's saving work, not in our righteousness. He says that again. He uses the imagery of being born again. And there's the means by which we were brought forth, and that is the word of God which lives and abides forever. He then quotes from Isaiah 40, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word, by, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. It's important to see the relationship between verse 22 and verse 23. Verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, because you are saved, we see, I'm sorry, not verse 22 and um, not verse 22 and I'm sorry, give me just a moment. One of those numbers is wrong, and I have utterly confused myself. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Here we go. Verse, the second part of verse 22, to love one another fervently with a pure heart, is an expected result of verse 23, having been born again. Loving one another with a pure heart is an expected result of having been born again. We see this imagery of human childbirth in the words that, that Peter uses. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. And that's why he highlights that section of Isaiah in verse 24. No matter, even, even the seed of man can reproduce life. But even that life that it reproduces will decay it will degenerate, it is not perfect, it is subject to error. But Peter highlights that our birth, our new birth, how we have been born again, is incorruptible. And the means by which that happened was the Word, the seed of the Word. It's interesting to note that in verse 23, the word logos is used to highlight the word by which we're saved. But then in verse 25, the word rhema is used. And we see that often the connotations of those Greek words, one being almost the, the literal letters on the page. 
the letters R-O-B would be the Logos Rob. But the rhema of those letters R-O-B would be the meaning, the purpose, who I am. And we see that both those aspects, both those truths, bring us to the Lord. Not only the Logos, but the rhema. Not the actual words, not only the actual words and texts, but the Spirit of God speaking to us through Scripture. He then goes on and says, Therefore, at the beginning of chapter 2, I think this is a very clumsy chapter delineation. Therefore, so he's pulling back. What is he pulling back to? Because we are to fervently love one another in verse 22. Yeah, that could be true. Because we have been born again through the imperishable word in verse 23. Could also be true. Because we're to have sharp, reasoned, well-thinking minds ready for action in verse 13. Yeah, you could make a case for all of those. And we don't need to distinguish tonight, but because of all those things, because we've been born again, because we're to love one another fervently, and because we're to be in control of our minds and use them to the glory of the Lord, we are to desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And you're stopping and you say, hey, wait, Rob, you skipped some. I know you're struggling up there, but you skipped some. I did not skip verse 1. When, Paul, when Peter says, therefore, the main thought of this sentence is that we would desire the pure milk of the word and grow. And we'll circle back to verse 1 and how it relates to that. But I want to highlight first their verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Scripture, in the word of God, is the means for spiritual growth. We oftentimes carry some connotations because of other sections of Scripture when we read about the milk of the Word versus the meat of the Word. And so I want to take a quick look at those two passages. The first being 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. Now, I'm going to make the case that Peter is not speaking about the milk of the word, referring to basic Christian doctrines. Because what I'm going to highlight in these next two passages is when the author here, Paul, and in the case of Hebrews, we, we can't definitively say who the author was, speaks of the milk as as that to be fed, something to be fed to an immature believer, spiritual immaturity has already been brought into context, which Peter has not done. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 4. 
It says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there, uh, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So there we see almost a rebuke, a commentary on the spiritual immaturity of the Corinthian church that Paul writes to. Let's flip over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to read verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their full senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So we can see in those two passages the contrasting nature of milk versus solid food in reference to the teaching of God's word and how as people mature in their walk, just like a baby matures in their growth, they're going to have different dietary needs. I don't think that's why Peter chose this particular metaphor to highlight the milk versus the meat, the basic doctrines of Christianity versus the deeper things, the weightier things. I think Peter chooses this metaphor to highlight the baby and the attitude of the baby, not in reference to the spiritual maturity of those that he writes to. I've been around a lot of breastfeeding babies as of late. My oldest child of three has yet to turn four. And my youngest right now is four months old yesterday. So I've asked my wife and Prudence to join us for a little example. Now, I gotcha. I, that would have been super weird, right? I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Patrick's still trying to not turn white. Uh, <laughs> he'd, 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 <laughs> oh, he had pulled it out. He was ready. Juan, come back. Peter highlights the attitude of this baby because it's such a beautiful reflection of the attitude that we need to have for God's Word. One, it is needed to grow. Do not lose that fact this evening. Spiritual growth cannot be accomplished without God's Word. It's not the way he intended it. 
If you want to grow, it has to be done in the Word. If you're not in the Word, if you don't want to have anything to do with the Word, then your growth is going to be inhibited. It's just as simple as that. That's not to say that you and a Bible can hide in an abandoned desert island and reap rich, rich spiritual growth. Because it's not the whole picture, but it is an irreplaceable part of the picture as far as spiritual growth is concerned. And we should want to grow. We should want to grow. My children at home, especially the younger two, seeing someone ahead of them, seeing someone more developed, oh, the, the younger they are, the faster they go because they want to catch up. They want to do what the older kids are doing. And when it speaks of us as, as Christians, we should see those who we respect in the faith. First and foremost, Jesus in the example that he sets. But also here within the church, seasoned believers. People who really personify the faith that we want to see lived out in reality in our life. And that should drive us to the word. Because a, a mature believer will be the first to tell you that the word of God is irreplaceable. And it should be a pleasurable, calming experience. When a baby is content, it wants to nurse. It wants to grow. They cannot go long without it. It's, it's their nourishment, right? We know man does not live on bread alone. Our flesh may, but often days our flesh, these soul suits that we call bodies, are our enemy. Yet we're very faithful to feed them we would be so rewarded and are so rewarded and richly blessed when we have that attitude like a child has for milk. Knowing that we need it. We cannot live without this. We should wake everybody up at three o'clock in the morning because we need it, we need it now. That's the attitude that we get to have for God's Word. And I know we spoke a little bit about milk and meat of the Word. And I certainly agree with that way of describing a study of God's Word. But one word of caution I would share while we're on this subject, we should never graduate. I think... That's where the metaphor breaks down. You're right. As children go in, grow into adolescence and into adults, we stop needing milk the same way we did as infants. And sometimes when we're not in the right place as believers, when our minds aren't 
girded up and sober about the realities, we can feel like there are things in Scripture that we've graduated from. (laughs) It's never the case. If ever we find ourselves coming to God's Word with the attitude of, well, yeah, 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 I get that. I, I got that one already. I've been walking with the Lord for a while. You know, give me some meat, Pastor. I know Jesus loves me. We should check our hearts. Because we should never lose our awe or our desire or our reverence or our love for the Word of God. Moving on, the one exception, or the, the one exception to, I think Peter chose that metaphor to highlight the attitude of the baby, is he says you must desire the pure milk of the word. And I want to emphasize pure there. Because I think a lot of times we can interact with diluted or watered down versions of the word maybe like were the the analogy would be sort of like milk flavored water right i mean yeah your mouth is not going to wet but if you give milk flavored water to a baby they're not going to grow they're not going to grow it's not going to satisfy And when that's the attitude, when that's the desire that we have for God's word, that's not going to do it. A couple of Facebook memes with really applicable scriptures are, are not going to satisfy our spiritual diet. Milk flavored water would not pass for a baby that wanted a meal. And we should be just as diligent as we grow in the Lord. And of course, that's a fitting exhortation to Peter's original audience. Under persecution, driven away, it's easy to have a lot on your mind. It's easy to let your mind get distracted, like we spoke of last week, and forget the real important things. That's why so often he comes back to that common theme of the reality of our salvation, the security of our salvation, God's hand and His power in our salvation, and the fact that we are born again. Over and over, we see that He is always trying to have us keep one hand on the eternal reality that we know is true while still having to have both of our feet in our current existence. But the second we lose sight of that eternal reality that Peter has highlighted and highlighted and brought us back to and said the same things over and over and over again, it's because in order to live fruitful, holy, set-apart, different, God-honoring lives here, we have to always have the reality of our eternity and the hope and the salvation which will come in mind. But let's rewind real quick to verse 1. 
that I skipped over. It says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You see, verse 1 is in service to verse 2. Verse 2 says, desire the milk of the word, desire the word of God that you would grow. Scripture is an irreplaceable part of spiritual growth. Sin hinders growth. So this twofold presentation, if you want to go, if you want to grow, dive into the word, desire the word like a newborn child. But in order to do that, hand in hand with doing that, there are some things you need to lay aside. There are some things you need to put down. You can't have this and this in the same hand. And he highlights malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, in evil speaking. Malice. Harboring evil thoughts. Wishing ill upon someone. It can happen so easily and so quickly. We see somebody speed by us on the highway and almost cause us to get in an accident. Man, I, you know, I hope that guy hits such and such a curb, and so he's not doing that to other people. But we can do that day in and day out with people that we interact with. Gosh, I am so tired of them getting away with this or them getting away with that. I'm, I'm glad God is just, and I hope he just, you know, sets them straight. That's malice. What does it look like to not have that? There was a wonderful example. George Washington Carver was once denied acceptance. Brilliant, brilliant man. Was denied acceptance to a university because he was black. And years later, when recounting the story, someone said, oh my gosh, what university was it? And he said, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. He harbored no ill will. It wasn't even, he was in the right. It wasn't like he was trying to slander them. He was just accurately relaying the facts. But no, he harbored no malice, no ill will. Deceit, any sort of dishonesty and trickery. Sometimes I think of how deceitful we can be with how we represent our lives on social media. I never take pictures of the sink full of dirty dishes. <laughs> my, my, my wife only puts videos up of me playing with my children and not yelling at them in frustration. We always 
hurry to pick up the home before someone comes over. Deceit and hypocrisy are sort of sisters. What falls into one category versus what falls into another category can be splitting hairs. But to be a, a play actor, a hypocrite, to be insincere, we look at envy, to be jealous. I found an interesting definition of envy because I think so often it's a word that I have a hard time defining outside of jealousy. But it was defined as the feeling of displeasure produced by observing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others. You just get mad when somebody, something's going well for somebody else. And, and, and do you think when that, when that person is wrong, when we look at someone doing evil and get frustrated that they are prospering, do you think that voids the envy that we have in our heart? Or does that violate this thing that Peter keeps telling us that we're to have one hand on our eternal reality? Because if we filtered a wicked person's earthly gain through that, we would, we would be sad. But when we lose touch with the eternal reality and the salvation that we hold and the salvation that's being worked out in our life right now, and we have both hands on this earth, then all of our priorities, even very subtly, can get all twisted. And we find ourselves envying things which we should mourn over. Evil speaking. Gossip. Information is so widespread and prevalent these days, gossip gets harder and harder to define. But it's never good. And the thing we always miss about gossip is it takes two to tango. And there have been times when I may have not been the one speaking gossip, but I have been a more welcoming ear than I should have been. When upon realizing that someone was talking about someone rather than to someone, I wasn't as quick as I should have been to raise the flag and say, hey, you know, that's really not our place. Or this is something you should probably broach with them. There's an interesting picture of slander, which would also fall under this category of evil speaking, which is throwing mud on somebody else to make yourself look cleaner. But I had to ask the question, why did Peter call out these five things? 
they're all kind of related in the same vein. But the point stands that all sin is an inhibitor to spiritual growth. But why would Peter choose these? I would pose that it's because these sins and sins like them are some of the most damaging to the church. Because if we rewind and look back at verse 22, now that you're saved, because you have obeyed the truth, obeyed the gospel, have sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Yes, Jesus said very clearly, we are to love God and love our neighbor. Who's your neighbor? If you're asking the question, they're probably your neighbor. But within the church, we have a special responsibility because we also read that they will know we are his by our love for one another. When we have ill will towards our fellow believers, when we are spreading gossip, when we find ourselves being jealous or envious of those within the body of Christ, when we come to church as hypocrites, not saying one thing and doing another, but do you ever think we come to church and that, that, that synonym of a, of a definition, play actors, you just, you just put on your Sunday face. You know how damaging that is to the church? Do you know that the, the gospel that that preaches to the world is, well, you've got to be okay to come to church. Look at all the Christians, they're, they're okay, or they're, they're pretending to be okay. Peter would be the first one to say that, that this life is hard. Sometimes it's very hard. Oftentimes it's very hard. But we love through it. And we should love one another first and foremost. Because that's part of our testimony to those that look in on the church is how we deal with one another. And then Peter sort of closes this thought in verse 3 of chapter 2. If you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. And the if is there not to cause doubt. But to remind us that all of this is a response. We have already tasted the Lord's grace. We have seen that He is good. And so it is in that experience of having already received from the Lord that we should be all that much more anxious and all that much more excited to pour love into the church around us and have that spill out over the rest of the world. 
And we do that by putting away the sin that stops our spiritual growth and by diving into the word that fuels it. Father, we thank you that you choose to invest in us. Lord, we thank you that our salvation is in you, that it's secure, and that you will complete the work that you've started. Father, we pray that you would continue to speak through our study of 1 Peter. Lord, that you would show us where in our lives we're not really leaning into the growth that you would have for us. Lord, where in our lives we're setting up walls or barriers to the growth that you would have for us. Lord, help us to fill ourselves with your word, with your spirit. Father, and convict us to continuously repent of our sin and the things that stand in the way. And Father, thank you that one day that sanctification, Lord, our salvation will be complete and we'll stand before you holy. Holy. 